0: Hi, I'm Alex Palmer, and this is the Cycling Business Podcast. We're back after a very long break. It's been more than four years since the last episode. A lot has happened in the meantime, but I'm back with the relaunch of the podcast, looking at a bunch more current issues in the bike business. In this episode, I'm joined by my former Canyon colleague, Reece Howell, to talk everything e-racing. Reece has been a pioneer in the e-racing space, founding and managing the world's first pro e-racing team sponsored by Canyon. We get into the nuts and bolts of racing and how he runs this top team, and we talk through some of the ethical challenges in the sport right now, and look at what the future might look like for e-racing. So let's get to the podcast. So, Rhys, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. Well, tell us, first of all, where are you? Where are you in the world today? I'm currently in Berlin, Germany.
1: I've been here for quite a while considering the uh, lack of options in traveling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not a bad place to be. Um, Well, listen, look, we're going to get into the world of e-racing. Why don't you just give us a little bit of, uh, you know, who you are and what you do and kind of how you got into this whole world of e-racing in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I'm the, I guess, founder and team manager of Canyon Esports, um, it's a team I launched back in January 2019, uh, which was in many ways at the very beginning of this kind of top level of, of e racing. Um, and the team's been very successful in those years. Uh, we're currently the men's team is three times undefeated champions of the um, Zwift Racing League uh, in the Premier League. Um, and, uh, we've, yeah, we've won a load of stuff before that as well. And so we have a men's a women's team and we have a under 23 development team as well, uh, which races in the community league, as well as we have a whole set of community teams, which will race in that, that same system. And I guess, yeah, I wanted to, I saw an opportunity for us to kind of launch, which was kind of modeled as like the first kind of pro e-racing team, um, Felt like the time was right back in January. I actually wanted to do it two years prior uh, when I first moved to Berlin, um, mm-hmm. but in hindsight, that I think it would have been the wrong time, uh, too early. Um, and i I'd, I'd been e-racing myself since about early twenty sixteen. So back before e- back before racing was a was a, an option on Zwift. You know, we we used to just meet up um, at a set time. Uh, mm-hmm. at the start banner on Zwift and you'd have to like set yourself off, uh, with your own stopwatch and, uh, go off racing. And, uh, Nathan Guerra was already doing the commentary for that. And it just seemed like such an obvious thing, such a fun thing, uh, to be doing. That um, yeah, I, I just kind of got hooked on it. That was what Zwift for me was all about was the, was the racing. Um, yeah.
0: Did, um did Canyon take much convincing when you, you, you sort of put something together and, and, and pitch this to them? What, what was their, what was their reaction to start with?
1: Um, I mean, I was actually surprised how interested they were. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just thought, I mean, obviously I, 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 I had the idea to do it back in 2017. It didn't really come together. Um, when I rejoined Canyon and in, in the middle of 2018, um, I just had the feeling that this would be a great opportunity for, for Canyon um, to be part of. So, yeah, I pitched it to Roman, who's the the founder. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes, this could be interesting. Go away and do a business plan, which I did. And then, um, yeah, and then that was kind of greenlit. And uh, I, I was very pleasantly surprised about that. Um, yeah. So that part was... Relatively easy, you know, in comparison to other things I've done <laughs> in my career.
0: Yeah, um, I guess the, I got a bunch of questions just on, on on some of the you know the sort of mechanics of how how the team works in e racing. We can get to that. Was it um, was it tough to get going? Um, <clears throat> I guess it,
1: in some ways, no. I mean, so. We were basically racing, which is ironic. We were basically trying to get the team together uh, in time for the first, um, it was called the KISS Community League. I think it mm-hmm. launched very early in February, I think, in 2019. So I had to really like, crunch to get a team together. So I was doing a lot of late nights um, just, just just to pull that team together um, sort out contracts, you know, had to write the contracts and then mm-hmm. figure it out, get equipment, ships, bring on sponsors. Um, I guess, you know, it happened so quickly and I just put so much effort into it in the, in the very beginning, but I guess it didn't feel like a lot of effort. It was a big relief when we finally were done and we we did the press release and announced the team um and yeah you, and was, you
0: were you were the first people to do that right this is this is the very first like pr- professional e-racing team
1: yeah so the teams which is exist, existed before they were basically clubs mm-hmm. so you could sign up on Zwift Power and join a club and then you could race under that banner basically but there wasn't a team you know like ours which was kind of trying to take it to the to the next level so yeah yeah we're the first one which kind of had you know like sponsors and we had like a transparency guidelines contracts um what have you and we were kind of disadvantaged right because we started off with just five men and five women and we were going up against these kind of club teams and they would have like 50 people or something yeah um so for us early on it was kind of like it was quite challenging but um the benefit i guess of uh, setting up that team was uh you know, I was offering something which many other kind of clubs weren't, which was this complete package. So we were able to kind of cherry pick um the riders which we wanted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well look, um I wanna let's just sort of step back and talk about some of the basics of e-racing. I mean, my my experience is is not very much. I don't know much about this whole world. Um I don't really ride the trainer very much unless I have to, I prefer being outside even if the weather's shit. Um I've done one Swift Race. And that was just kind of jumping in with, you know, a bunch of my mates from uni who are now all big Zwift users who weren't cyclists, you know, five, ten years ago. And it's awesome. It's a way for us to 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 connect. I did one, um, I think it was the Tour de Zwift. It was on Out du Zwift. And what oh. I was pleasantly surprised about was how well it mimicked real life, because I was comfortable comfortable like front of the pack, going along fast at the bottom of the climb. We started the climb and then I was just going. Backwards, like so quickly. So, so in that respect, it did mirror real life uh, very well because I was terrible at climbing on on Swift, as I'm terrible at climbing in real life. But I don't know anything about you know more organised races. Don't know anything about the sort of you know the the bigger you know leagues and races. So, give give us a bit of a sort of overview on on how all that side of things works.
1: Sure. I mean, first off, I just want to say uh, it's kind of uh, foolish slash slash incredibly brave for you to do your first whiff raise <laughs> on
0: Help to Whiff. Ig- ignorance was bliss, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that's 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 impressive. Um, yeah, I guess the current structure is fairly simple. I mean, it didn't used to be this way. I mean, it was very kind of chaotic for a long time up until. Uh, they Zwift started organising the Zwift uh, Racing League, uh, and now it's fairly, it's fairly structured. I guess it's fairly obvious how things pan out. Um, so for the top tier teams, there's the Premier League. So every, everything pretty much comes. There are other races and other race series, but the ones which the majority of people will have, will know or have heard of or are involved in. And I guess is the focus for our team is the Zwift Racing League. So top level, we have the Premier League. Um, can't remember how many teams there are in it. It keeps changing. But say there's about 100 riders, men's, women's. Uh,
0: there's just how question those 100 on. riders. How, do you have to qualify for it? Can anybody enter? How's that work? So. Um,
1: I guess we've been in it since the very beginning, uh, and for us, it was—I guess it was obvious—we'd we'd be in it, and there were other teams which mm-hmm. were in there straight away. So I guess we were handpicked um, to be to be part of it. Uh, and now, if you're in the lower level, so you know it's like a yeah Premier League, and then you have like first division, second division, sort of thing. Um, yeah, you can get promoted up. So normally the mm-hmm. bottom three. Uh, after the end of a season will go down, and then the top three will go up
0: this this uh, we should just mention this might be a strange concept to any american listeners the the idea of promotion and relegation um uh, oh really <laughs> uh, yeah it's yeah. like not that I watch
1: much football anymore, but it's it's just like it's like football basically yeah. or soccer for your american listeners um yeah, so it kind of operates in that sense. So there are teams which are swapping in and out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zwift has a license to just add any team they want. So you get these wildcard entries every now and then who uh, normally are low-level kind of like pro-conti teams or something who will hop in for a season or what have you. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's basically it. I mean, but there are, if you think about it, there's probably, I, I don't know, say there's like 15 men's teams and like 10 women's teams um in the premier division in the lower levels there are like i don't know if it's i guess it's thousands of teams like yeah. there are i think they I think they said last not last season but this third season there was like 15,000 people or something racing mm-hmm. so it's 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 pretty big and and teams can range from the minimum per race is six people so imagine that's the smallest your team could be um or the biggest a team can be is 10 riders. Right. Um but we had in our community which we run we had 15 teams so we yeah. had 150 people registered.
0: So then is the thinking because you've got this tiered structure that's like the football league for example that it gives a pathway for somebody who could be a complete unknown and they've never done any racing in real life but they're uh, you know amazing physiologically on the bike there's a pathway for them to go from top to bottom and and how long could that take if somebody was super talented?
1: um i guess it's hard to say i mean some of our best racers you know don't race outdoors yeah. um i mean uh lino is probably you know undeniably one of the best swift racers in the world he doesn't so race hang outdoors. on. can you
0: just li- who's who's is that a he who's he yeah Leno. what's his full v- name lino <laughs> okay um yeah
1: he's He's kind of a, he won't mind me saying, actually, he might, but he's kind of a legend of Swift racing. He's been with the team since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It was my first signing. Um, he, you know, he's just a guy who's super strong on the trainer. He can absolutely just hurt himself so much, but mm-hmm. has never really raced outdoors except for a cyclocross. Um, I mean, he did the Zwift Academy last year, and I think he came second, um, so, you know, he's, he's fully like fully been tested. We've tested him, Zwift have tested him. So he's totally legit, but you know, just, um, he's never been through that system, you know, of, of yeah. that traditional cycling system. So, yeah. uh, he's someone how, how who do would you think kind of be how, missed.
0: How would he get on in a, in an outdoor race? And I guess that brings up another question I had, it's just the sort of, you know, the similarities and the differences between, you know, racing, um e-racing and and real world racing and i guess there's a number of those whether it comes to like physiology tactics all that sort of thing how how, how do you see that
1: uh well the the, the physiological element is massive
0: mm-hmm. i
1: mean that's why you stick most of the world tour pros on zwift and they they suck at Zwift racing and that's just because they're not really adapted to smashing it out for like (laughs) half an hour and they they kind of you know they find it very annoying and that kind of adds a bit of a dilemma for Zwift because they want to use world tour pros to help market their platform but they don't like it and they're not very good at it um so yeah, a bit of a catch 22 on that one. Um, if, as you took, where-
0: if if you took a rider like uh, I don't know, like a 10 mile TT specialist in the UK or a or a crit specialist in the US, I'm guessing they would be slightly more physiologically adapted to to doing well, right? They should be. I mean, time trial probably not. Okay. Because I think
1: people there's this kind of uh people make the mistake of thinking that Zwift is just like you have to just Power out consistent watts, and you'll 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 be fine. You'll you'll mm-hmm. ride away from everyone. Uh, and it's not; it's a much more about kind of basically just tipping into the red, or going into the red and being able to recover really quickly. So it's much more about you know your VO two So like a, a sort
0: of um, cyclocross physiology, for example, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Okay.
1: Way more like cyclocross than than any other discipline, I would say. You know, maybe. Um, like short track mountain biking, like yeah. cross country. But, you know, cyclocross is probably the best example, I would say. Um, So, yeah, so that's why, you know, it's, um, you know, there's the metric if you're looking at it really, because we've done a lot of testing with our own athletes, you know, the f- main thing we look at is VLA max. And this what's is the, the main... What's the
0: VLA max?
1: So this is basically the indicator of... It's kind of the best way of looking at the the full potential of an athlete. I mean, you're mainly looking at VO2 max. Right. But you're looking at, like, if you adapt somebody's training, what could they actually do? So lots of ours had, like, really high VO2 max. Mm-hmm. And then you then look at that and go, right, how can we adapt their training so that they would be better at doing long-duration efforts? So it's the same. If you take an e and most good e-racers wouldn't be very good on the world tour stage. Um, But, you know, if you stick them in some of these smaller, lower cat races, then they often do quite well. I mean, if you look at Jay Vine, for example, he Mm -hmm. won Zwift Academy and he did incredibly well in the Tour of Turkey, I think it was. Yeah, he's in the world tour
0: at the moment, I think, isn't he?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, he's... That's kind of like the great... I think Zwift did really well in this example of finding someone who they could easily kind of transplant mm-hmm. and, and put in a particular kind of race. Mm-hmm. Um and they should probably do quite well. And I think he, you know, and he has. I think
0: um so so do you think there does that um is there a different approach to this whole concept of of recruiting riders into real-world racing from Zwift? There's a difference between, say, what people are looking for in Zwift Academy and who might win that versus just taking the, you know, using race performances in Zwift. Does does it work like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a huge amount of um, people looking for talent in Zwift and taking them out onto the road outside of Zwift Academy. Mm -hmm. I know that I've, you know, I've talked to, federations, and they are they are interested in doing this. Um, to what degree they have had any success of it, it's hard to say there hasn't been any kind of big success stories, which spring to mind. Yeah. Um, I think the, you know, the real there's so many variables which basically go into it, you know, like what equipment is a person using? Have they weighed themselves incorrectly? Is their height put in correctly? Um, yeah, there's there's just tons of different variables which kind of can go into that. But you know, you, you can get an idea if someone's good. But I think this kind of really works if you're finding young riders, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you if you find those young riders and they're kind of shining early on, then you can say, okay, maybe they're really they've got the ability and to be good at Zwift racing, and there's enough time to help adapt their training so that we can take that kind of raw talent or raw, I guess, physiological talent and then kind of like convert it into something which might work.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's not like you're, you're not like a championship football team where you've got, you know, JV or Brailsford knocking on your door, trying to recruit your best riders to the big leagues.
1: No. Um okay and i think that's probably a good thing i think um <laughs> you know i think just because we are looking Not at no if there was
0: some transfer fees involved Rhys. <laughs>
1: oh uh, that's true that's true no, i you know i love everyone who's in our team but yeah i'd i'd, I'd flog them off um <laughs> no i think you know we're just it, it's great because it does offer an opportunity for people also who are better adapted to to doing those short races and mm-hmm. you know nobody really is going to outside of like maybe the crit scene i mean even crits normally lasts you know around about an hour yeah nobody wants to nobody in no other circumstances anybody want to watch people race for like half an hour you know yeah um so yeah it's um there's a lot of potential i mean it is interesting though like we have the the junior squad so we have like 20 under 23 riders and it's definitely interesting to see you know i pick them all based on their performances in Swift, and it's been really interesting to see how they've been picked up by, um you know, uh, road teams, yeah, um, you know, you- around the world, and or national teams. So some of them have been racing on the track for their national teams now. So
0: yeah, do you, do you see, or do you think we will see younger riders having to make a make a decision early on in their career, and and you know, having to choose between? Do I go down the pathway of specialising in e racing and you know making a career and potentially a living uh, in 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 that route, or or do I stick with you know traditional road trying to make the pro tour? Uh,
1: I mean, potentially, but I mean, where we are with e racing, it's it's still not uh, at that point yet where okay. people could realistically make that decision. You, you think
0: you think it's going to get to that point?
1: uh i mean i used to uh (laughs) i'm not sure where I'm not sure where i sit on it now you know um i like to think that we will get to that point but i think it's going to take a lot longer to get there than you know maybe when i started out back in 2019
0: yeah yeah all right look i got one more question on on just some of the the basics of the racing before we get onto something else and that's you know i from the limited knowledge I have, there are some quite specific things in these races that that um that you need to do to win, right? And there's some tactics and there's some, you know, there's some tools within Zwift. Um can you give us what what are some like quick tips for anybody that's doing this um for specific e racing um tools and tactics? Um <clears throat> I would
1: say yeah, look for uh, look for races which suit your riding style. Um, so, t- in order to get the best experience out of it, I guess it depends what l- what level you're coming into it at. But you know, if you are not a very good climber, then you know just pick those um, those kind of crit races which aren't going to have a lot of climbing in them. Mm-hmm. And conversely, do the opposite if you're you're more of a climber. Um, yeah, try and find races which are really popular um, or have, you know, have a, have a kind of a league structure behind them, um, I think it's really important. I think just ride the courses a lot will make a massive difference. I think it's always really understated how important it is to know each different course. I mean, so I have, I have the luxury of the men's team that I manage and I'm also the... Kind of director sportif, so I'm on the race radio with all of them in our in our major races. I don't really have to tell them <laughs> what to expect, yeah. um, you know. So I'm in a really kind of luxurious position there, and that's because they've ridden every single map like so many times. So uh, I don't have to do any education there. But they've only got to that point because they have done it so many times. So mm-hmm. I think if you know that, you know it's not just knowing what effort you'll have to put in in each part of the course. It's also doing it in a race scenario and having an idea how other people are going to race it. So where are people most likely to attack and kind of preparing yourself for that? Um, yeah, those are probably some some hot tips. I mean, yeah, and also mastering drafting is also massively important because uh, you can save yourself a, a ton, of, ton of watts um, just by actually... Not making the mistake of riding it like a time trial and just doing constant watts and always being at the front, yeah. Um, which I think is is a, is a mistake most people make, as where you can really kind of yo-yo back off the power, put the power back on, back off the power, use the terrain. So you know, really like sprint into the the base of uh, climbs and stuff to kind of carry your momentum, super tuck in the descents and. That means you stop pedaling, and then your avatar will super tuck after it's goes after. I think it's still fifty-eight kilometers per hour. Um, yeah, it's just you know understanding where you can do those. You can't like you can't get those. You can't super tuck on every single descent. So it's knowing which ones you can do it on, or whether you'll actually, if you're in a pack, then the pack will pick up more speed than if you're just doing it solo. So it's just just knowing when you can do those things. Makes a huge difference. Just so you've got that bit of extra power in your legs when it comes to the final sprint or climb or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you're in the in in their ear is like a DS. I mean, is that is that just like a, a road DS would be would be in a rider's ear, or are there, there's there's some some sort of peculiarities to it being on Swift.
1: I guess the thing which is really different about Zwift, I mean, luckily for me, I don't have to drive a car, uh, <laughs> which is preferable. I can sit and sit at my sit at my desk, yeah. uh, and drink, uh, which is obviously <laughs> frowned upon. Uh, if you if you're driving, does that help? Oh yeah,
0: you have a few beers.
1: Well, normally I norm here I've got I've I've got a I've got a rattler, but normally okay. I would have a few glasses of rum. That normally right. helps. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that the but the main difference I would say is the fact that you know I can actually click through, and you skip to other riders, and I can basically see, you know, what kind of power is that person doing? What's their heart rate looking
0: like? This is the competition or or your riders' competition, right? Okay,
1: so you can kind of relay this information back, um, and you can because. I watch the live stream as well. So I have like all of my monitors set up. So one mm-hmm. will have the live stream on and I kind of listen to the commentary in one ear, just in case I miss something. On um, the other screen, I have Zwift set up and I'm basically jumping between riders, seeing how they're doing, seeing if people are getting dropped, see if people are attacking off the front.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not just that, I'll, you know, I'll jump to if someone's attacked off the front and I'll tell them, I'll tell my riders, you know you know what power is he putting out what does that gap look like because often they can't see what the what the gap actually is so you know that bit's i guess like a traditional ds but yeah. i guess the difference is i can actually jump in and see what the data is um, yeah yeah i had, I had no idea
0: it worked like that um well i got some questions on like the team structure and how that works and i think a lot of it does seem quite similar to a you know, a pro or a, or a semi pro team, just talk a bit about, you know, how you set it up, how you recruit riders, how you recruit sponsors. And then also I'm, I'm, I'm curious how the economics of it works as well. So I'd I'd like to talk about that.
1: Sure. That's a lot of questions. So I guess, um, (laughs) you know, how it's, how it's set up is, you know, currently we have, uh, about 15 elite riders, um, all of them all of them are contracted um, all of their equipment is provided to them by our sponsors um, most of them don't don't necessarily need some of that equipment um, because they're already racing at that top level but for mm-hmm. us it was really important that we kind of had everybody on the same equipment so we kind of have a um, one of our mottos is basically like removal variables and um, And so that is a case of like trying to ensure everyone has the same equipment. And if they have issues, it can be solved in kind of the same manner, uh, as opposed to, you know, if you think about how many different trainer and um, power meter combinations there could be, I mean, it's a complete minefield. So um, we have that. Um, It's everything we do is kind of managed. I guess, you know, we don't have a central physical location, we don't have a service course. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my. My house is the service course in many ways, <laughs> um, uh, and we manage everything on on Discord. Um, we used to do it on Facebook Messenger, but now we manage everything on Discord.
0: What's just to explain what Discord is? I've I've heard of it. I've not used it.
1: Uh, so Discord is basically like a better version of Slack. I would say, okay. in the most simplest terms, um, it was it was. It was sort of set up um, originally for gamers to use, um, to have places to kind of chat and organise themselves,
0: and um, it's. And it's, you can, can you can you use it for sort of audio? You can have like an audio um, meeting or chat whilst you're on. So people use it whilst they're on Zwift, so that they can talk to one another, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So we used to just organise everything uh, on Facebook Messenger, and we had Discord, and. We used it like most teams use it, to be honest, which is very, in a very primitive fashion. Which is to basically just go on there and use the audio features. So you just go into basically a, you know, a chat room uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of thing, and uh, every, everyone just sort of like talks to one another. Um, but then I discovered the power of Discord, and it's easily the best, um, kind of like in my mind, the best enterprise um, kind of chat and community communication platform so yeah. i was just like right we're moving everything onto this um mm-hmm. so we run everything on there we have everything set up for if we're doing time trials if we're chatting about general chat anything to do with like race organization uh, marketing we even have channels for our sponsors so if they yeah. wanted to go in and ask something of the riders then they can go in there it's kind of like uh yeah that in many ways that's our kind of i guess service course or, or headquarters but it's
0: all virtual and er- everything's kind of managed through there um well um okay now another another, question for you. Do, you do you have a support staff do you, do you use like people for physiological testing that that sort of that sort of thing
1: uh yeah I mean it's quite light so I mean uh on the testing side we partnered with a uh, a lab here in Berlin called Diagnosa mm-hmm. um during it seems like so long ago but I guess it was the middle of last year um and they used uh they did testing of all of our riders
0: um and so like uh, in-person physiological testing as opposed to just i guess you know you can't no, so people we we're on using the platform, this right? we we're
1: using this um this service called insight and um i think they're a german company and they built a model which basically they made specific set of indoor tests which you could do Mm -hmm. um, the really brutal tests and from that they'd be able to model um, with a high degree of accuracy kind of what your um, power metrics would be like VO2 max or Um, You know, the same as you are doing like lactate tests. Yeah. So they had a really, yeah, I was very impressed with it to be honest. So we worked with them to do that. Um, And I think at some point, you know, we've had enough new riders join. we will probably work with them again. It was it was really useful. Yeah. Um, And then yeah, I have um, have a bit of help. So Jeremiah Bishop who's a former um, Canyon. He's still a Canyon athlete actually, but. he he helps out with uh, some of the coaching for the team, and then I do the DSing for the men's team, mm-hmm. and then we have another DS, uh, Rowan, who who does the does the women's team, um, which is massive help when he came on board because I was often having to do like you know two races back to back, and sometimes overlapping, which was really complicated. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then um, you know when it comes to like social media um that some of the riders pitch in as well so uh which 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 helps out so i'd yeah. i'd love to have a lot more support staff
0: um but you know i guess we, you got you got people at canyon back in coblenz you can you can lean on for support as well right no um <laughs>
1: <laughs> no not really okay. <laughs> if i'm being honest it's mainly it's mainly me right um you know the the guys help out uh definitely when we need to make new kit i think that's mm-hmm. the main thing you know, when there's a new kit which needs to be made, um, you know, then it, it's made by Canyon. So they have yeah. the kit. Otherwise, everything else is basically managed by myself or or someone from within, within
0: the team. So yeah.
1: probably, people, people probably don't appreciate that, but yeah.
0: What about um, th- just explain how the recruitment works? I guess, um, you know, where do you find riders? Where? What sort of tips would you give somebody who's aspiring that wants to be spotted by Reese to get on the Canyon e-racing team? Yeah,
1: so I guess we've we've tried a few different methods, I suppose, for the recruitment. So, um say so when we started out in 2019, I basically was able to pick like in my mind who were the best Zwift racers at the time, um, uh, many of which still are. Um with the women's team, for example, with the women's team back in, um, I guess it was almost, you know, in 2020, we kind of really struggled because we had people who, you know, left. We had one rider, Laura, who left to join a world tour team and which I guess, you know, there's an example of that kind of progression. Uh, mm-hmm. uh Natalie left and she wanted to focus on becoming Swedish national champion, uh, which she's achieved, I think in time trial and now in the road. So, you know, she's kind of, it's cool to be part of that. So we were kind of really depleted on the women's side. In that case, we decided we were going to do an open application. Um, We just, we just, you know, we just announced, listen, we need new riders, apply. And then I basically uh, picked the riders, which I felt were going to be the the best fit for the the team. And um, so that, at the end of last year, basically completely like transformed the women's team. Like, it, It's it, it's absolutely amazing transformation um, where they are now. So that was a very different method. Uh, we did the same thing with the juniors, um, with the dev team. It was an open application. We had about, uh, I think around about 100, 150 people applied to that, all mm-hmm. um, under 23, and then had to pick 20. Um, yeah, or we have the uh, the coalition, which is the name of the community, which I set up, which kind of sits below the the elite team, uh, and as I say, we have people of all different abilities kind of racing there. And I've always said that, you know, I'd like to think about there being that kind of pathway where you could come through the coalition I'm more likely to pay attention to you, uh, through there or through the dev squad. Uh, and I'm already looking at how do we take the juniors where we have, you know, to take the best ones who are in our junior team and look to kind of bring them into the, uh, the elite team in, in some sort of way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, or, you know, of course, you know, the other way is naturally just to look at who's doing really well in the e-racing scene. So whether that's from the premier league or just, um, in, in, just looking on Zwift Power, which is kind of this website which lists all of the race results and kind of seeing who's doing well. Um, yeah, the big and, difficulty and you- we have, I guess, is just for, you know, being sure that the person's um, uh, performances are legitimate like, yeah. and also acceptable to us because what might be acceptable to another team or might be acceptable even to... Um, zada who 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 does all of the kind of
0: uh analysis you know might not necessarily yeah. be acceptable to us so i definitely i want to i want to get into that side of things um just on the on the economic side of this with 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 racing and teams um do you pay riders is there much prize money what is what does the economics of it look like
1: Yeah. So none of our riders are paid. Um, I guess, you know, we give them a package of stuff via our sponsors, which actually we've added more sponsors since I calculated last, but say it's around about 10,000 euros worth of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, between bike trainer, power meter, year supply of nutrition, ceramic speeds all over their bike, um, muck off, uh, free training peaks, uh, pro accounts and stuff like that, uh, a free coaching. Uh, so it's quite a good, it's quite a good package. But we don't pay them yet, and I guess you know we're not at that point where you know we can ask sponsors for enough money uh, to kind of be able to do that. Um, and there's probably there's not enough kind of coverage. There's not enough people watching the racing yet. So the the whole business model is kind of not there. It has the potential? I mean, it has the potential to be a much more stable business than pro racing, which, Mm -hmm. you know, pro racing sponsorship model is, in my mind, I always think of it more of kind of like a pyramid scheme, to be honest, than like (laughs) a proper business. So uh, it has the potential to to be much more effective, especially if you look at like eSports, where people can compete for, you know, like million million dollar prize purses. Um, Yeah. You know, it's com- it's completely other world. So the potential's there, and I think if there was going to be a team which would, you know, be the first to pay its its riders, I would like to think it would be ours, because um, it's something I would like to do. If it, if we weren't, then you know, we'd be second. Yeah, and uh, we'd figure out a way how to do it. Um, so yeah, we you know we make some we make some money for the team through through sponsorship. The riders make money through um, through race wins. At the mm-hmm. moment, the only winnings really come through the Premier Division for the Zwift Racing League. Um, it's is, really not a what, lot of what, money. What, I was so, going to say,
0: what's that look like? How much do you win? Do you win one of those races?
1: Uh, so, probably off the top of my head, you know, if you win it, it breaks down to be about 800 euros a rider, I think, off the top of my head. So, it's about, if you look at it, normally it'd be an eight week series. So, it's about 100 euros a week. So, oh, right. okay. yeah. so actually, if you, if you look at it, you know, top, I, I don't know what it, what is it? It's like, a, is it $5,000 or something for the win? And then when you keep breaking it down to how much effort actually go into it, it's not actually a lot.
2: Yeah.
1: And you compare that. And part of the reason why I could be, um, I guess, a little bit pessimistic around how far it's growing is because I look back to um, CVR, and they were way ahead of their time. What's CVR? CVR CVR World Cup. It was organised by another guy, Frank. Um, completely separate to Zwifts, and they were already doing like live events, really well produced, really good live stream, good commentary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Seemed like they had a, you know an interesting business model, and you know the, if you won one, there was like I don't know how many there were. I think say there was like eight maybe, or five or eight, all around the world, different locations. And if you won, I think it was like a $10,000 prize for whoever won that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, individuals I know, you know, because Lionel from our team, again, he won CVR Vancouver at the live event. And uh, he, he went home with, I think, $10,000 himself. And you compare that to to the Zwift racing, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's five thousand dollars shared between, yeah, can be shared between up to ten riders, racing over eight weeks. So it's you know it's kind of inferior in, in that sense.
0: So CVR kind of looked a lot more like what we see in gaming with these live competitions in something that looks like an arena with people competing, and you know there's spectators and there's people watching live online, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, for the time, it was super impressive. You know, it kind of. Um, I look back on it kind of like, it, um, you know, with kind of r- disappointment, I suppose, that that wasn't something which was able to be expanded. I mean, yeah. and I think in the end that came down to a disagreement around CVR being a third party and using Zwift platform and Zwift not liking it. Right, that it.
0: was, yeah, that was my next question is were they using the Zwift platform? And then I guess I can see, yeah, sure, there's a conflict of interest there as to whether Zwift wants to own that that race format or whether somebody else wants to come in. I think it, you know, it sounds like an interesting business model for somebody else to come in and, and, and own that and do it on the Zwift platform. Right. But, you know, 100%. I guess I mean, it's complicated, right?
1: I mean, the, I think Zwift really shot themselves in the foot, um, with that, to be honest. Um, yeah. because if you think about it, if CVI had been allowed to kind of continue to grow just where we would be now, um, you know, and Zwift could have just like you know done a licensing deal with them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and 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 Zwift would have been financially better off as well. I have no doubt. So, yeah, we can't. I feel like I always feel like that was a massive missed opportunity uh, by Zwift, um, and that affected the you know everybody who's in this kind of ecosystem.
0: Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think for something like that to if 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 that's the future of successful e racing? Um, in order to get to that it it needs Zwift to kind of take the lead and make it happen right
1: yeah I I think they need to be I get the impression that they want complete kind of ownership over everything which Mm -hmm. you know is kind of kind of understandable you know you want everything to be like Zwift 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 but you're very you, you know when you do that of course you completely limit what you're capable of doing and yeah. you know, that's that's evident in where they are now um you know i a good example i like to think of is twitter okay it's very different but twitter was basically bare bones i joined twitter in 2007 2007 you know it was you would just type in something and that was it <laughs> um like there was no functionality there was no apps there was no search and they just had an open API and everyone just built, everyone built Twitter for Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like Twitch was, bi- I mean, Twitch, um, search was built by a company called, you know, Surmise, Twitter bought it. Uh, TweetDeck was built by somebody else, Twitter bought it. The Twitter yeah. app was originally called Tweety, Twitter bought it, you know, and they let everybody else do the hard work for them <laughs> and then just, just bought it off them. You know, and I think that's a you know, it's kind of I can see Zwift kind of making that mistake by just going like we're not going to let anybody else really have that kind of control over um, our our destiny. I suppose. I mean, to a degree, you know, with the Zwift Racing League, the the community league, they're kind of exclusively working with these guys um, who run WTRL. Um, but again, they're just like what's the,
0: what's, what's what's WTRL.
1: So WTRL, don't ask me what it stands for. I don't know what it is in this world where everyone wants to do, um, you know, like an initialism, but they do. So you've got ZRL and WTRL. And um, they basically are renowned for basically organizing team time trials. They've been doing it for a really long time. So every Thursday on Zwift, there's a team time trial. uh, And they basically kind of invented, you could say, and owned the format. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no there's no sort of formal way of doing a team time trial, so they had to make up a lot of jiggery-pokery to make it actually make sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a- again, it's an example where I see there's problems with ziff racing, right, where you have these team time trials, massively popular, um, but there is no way to properly, properly do one. I mean, you know, if you do a team time trial, everybody has to like wait, set a stopwatch. The the banner goes up. Everyone sets their own stopwatch, tries not to false start, and then <laughs> you know somebody will go right, Natsar, that's our eighteen minutes or whatever. And then off they go. And you know, sometimes if you catch another team, then you can get mixed up with them, and yeah, it's a complete mess to be honest. So it's a
0: little, it's a little bit of a hack rather than Zwift having built a team time trial function yeah. within their platform.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it would right. not be very difficult for them to do, to be honest. It's just those little things where it also becomes an indicator where it's like Zwift aren't really giving the racing the kind of the push that it that it kind of really needs. They're kind of doing it a little bit on bare bones. Although it's not to say they're not putting money into it, but the money's going into kind of the marketing rather than the than the product, I would say. It's going yeah.
0: into um, tour de France ads with Mathieu Van der Poel the play on every ad break. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right. Um, look, you, you touched on it briefly earlier. Um let's talk about this whole the whole area of sort of, you know, ethics, cheating, doping. Like tell us a little bit about how you approach that from your team perspective and sort of what the bigger issues are in this whole in this whole space.
1: I mean this is like <clears throat> we could just do a whole podcast uh, just on this topic. <laughs> um and I've done I've done interviews just, just on this topic, like with Cycling Weekly. Um yeah, I mean it's uh it's a it's a, it's a murky world in that sense. Um you know, basically as I said before, there are so many variables to uh to to basically cheat um Accidentally or on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, miscalibrated equipment, old equipment which overreads, crap equipment j- just overreads, um, incorrect putting your weight in incorrectly because, you know, the currency of Zwift is what's per kilogram. So, you know, even if you have equipment which reads accurately, you, you can basically. Dope your watts by, yeah. By just, I mean, by I, lowering I, your weight.
0: I grasped that right away with the limited amount of riding I've done on Swift. And I don't know. It just seems way too easy for anybody that's an amateur that's not in an organised race to just cheat on their weight. And uh, do we have any idea like what percentage of Swift users out there are, are underreporting their weight?
1: I have no idea, but I, I would imagine it's, it's a lot. A lot. It's, it's I'd it's a imagine it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, as well, if you look at like demographics as well, I mean, I don't know what the split is, but the majority, uh, the profile of, of a Zwift rider is definitely plus 30. I mean, there's probably a huge proportion which is plus 40. Um, yeah. And a lot of that has comes down to, um, just how easy it is to fit into your lifestyle yeah um people don't want to don't want to necessarily go out race and get hurt Mm -hmm. um i know a lot of people who are parents as well you know it's much easier to get a zwift race in than it is to go race outside again you don't want to get hurt if you've got kids um yeah some of it's just like a kind of I'm sure a lot of it is kind of, like, not intended. Like, they might have just put their weight in and not really thought about it. Mm -hmm. Or they put their weight in five years ago and never updated it because they didn't think they should do. Um, So, you know, I'm fairly fairly relaxed about the casual user kind of doing it. It's the people who are kind of obviously, um, yeah, doing it. On purpose to gain an advantage in in racing, uh, and the, again, there are people who do it. They'll just put in the wrong number, mm-hmm. and then at the very top level, you have people who figure out ways to basically weight dope. Who you know either using dodgy scales, or in the past, there was people who go and like go in steam rooms and lose a load of weight. I mean, yeah. you know, there was it's riders. Like a, it,
0: it's like a weigh-in with a lightweight rower or a boxer, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Boxing is a great example, you know, or comparison. I mean, you know, there were riders in, um, the world championships, uh, which, you know, happened last year and, you know, they lost eight kilograms in mm-hmm. a month yeah. and they're already elite athletes. And you're like, yeah, I'm not fully convinced by that one. Uh, you
0: know, as in, as in the numbers are not real or just on the, the, um, practicalities of losing that much weight um, and being able to then you know race to the highest level i mean look uh, there's there's an argument there that that's actually part of the sport right if you do look at things like boxing or lightweight rowing like i remember when you know when i was rowing i'd look at the lightweights and just think that's a miserable existence because they're constantly having to balance that weight versus performance equation right and and you know do you lose weight too much that then impacts your performance and in yeah. a way that becomes part of the sport and part of the preparation of the sport right uh
1: i mean i'd probably say that it's not a good habit you know because it exists in boxing doesn't mean it should exist at all yeah. no <laughs> i, d- I honest, don't yeah. i
0: don't agree I you know i totally agree it's a bad habit and and there are you know, I think when I was ro- watching the Olympic rowing, there was some chat with the commentators about them actually doing away with the lightweight category because it it encourages um, um, eating disorders.
1: Mm. Yeah, we, and we've had that same kind of discussion ongoing, I guess, in e-racing as well. I think that, you know, there are there are undoubtedly people who probably have developed eating disorders through mm-hmm. feeling the kind of peer pressure to lose weight, to be good at Zwift mean um, The thing, I, I, thing is we sure have that in,
0: in real world cycling anyway, right? It's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's so a problem I think, across the board.
1: Yeah, but I think, um, you know, I think most people, I think that problem was probably being, I was arguing that problem is being overstated in this scenario and m- many more people are just kind of cheating the system. Either, you know, cheating the system Cheating or basically going this grey area where you are kind of like stripping a load of weight mm-hmm. um, to to do your weighing and then kind of try and put it back on.
0: Is is there a t- what's the time gap between the weigh in and starting racing and the amount of time you have to to you know drink a whole load of water or energy drink to to get back sure. up to weight?
1: So I mean. I it used to be seventy-two hours, I think.
0: Oh, that's and quite I, a lot, isn't it?
1: It's a lot. So then I I was one of the people who lobbied um Zwift and said, listen, like we know people are gaming this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I I said, you know, it should be like an hour before the race. Yeah, right, exactly. Um so and my argument was that will cut out some of the eating disorder bits because if you're gonna lose weight, you're gonna be shit <laughs> like if you yeah, yeah, you focus exactly. on that yeah so and it will also cut out the people who are basically you know all the people okay. who live in Scandinavia nipping into their saunas and uh, yeah. and stripping a load of weight so um yeah, and there was there was a lot of pushback from other teams, and
0: so what is it what it Where did it end up at
1: so now it's an hour, yeah, oh right, okay. So uh, it's exactly where I kind of wanted it to be. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think you know that that that's that's been good. Um yeah. I think, you know, if, when I was involved with the um the the Tour de France, the virtual Tour de France, I mean, you know, you look at the standards where we are with like e-racing for the amount of rules we have, but when mm-hmm. the pros came on board, it was like the team managers just had to email the wait. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um uh, to Zwift yeah it was kind of like there was like no there was no no calibration no
0: and they still uh, all got beat
1: no no rules Well, no this was like it was only pros allowed because okay when they did the virtual tour de france they didn't want e racers to come in and just right right okay you know just yeah beat beat the crap out of them so um they purposely only had world tour pros in that
0: yeah. So I guess there's there's a point as you get up the the racing hierarchy, right, where there are official checks and balances, right? Can you explain like at what point do they kick in and what are they exactly? Um I guess weight is one of them, but but what what, what else is there? I mean, so all
1: the checks and balances basically happen at um the Premier League. So it's kind of like I don't know if it's 1%, maybe it works out being less, Mm -hmm. 0.1% of all teams uh, on Zwift actually have any checks. Um, The only other checks, if you're a lower-level team, basically, is if you're racing out of categories. So if you put out all the categories at the moment, rightly or wrongly, but they're set up so that it's based on your average watt per kilos for uh, the duration of a race. And if you go above it, then you can be disqualified. But normally this is... It's not. It's rarely kind of enforced, to be honest, unless it's mm-hmm. automated. So everything happens at the very top. So as I say, it affects probably about uh, maybe twenty-five teams in total. Um, you have to go through. Um, you have to su- supply a fair amount of information up front. So we ha- we mm-hmm. have a we have a big document which is called the e-racing rule set, or the yeah. I think it's just called the erasing rule set. This can be found. Um it's hidden away on Zwift's website. Um, but you can probably find it via Google. This will list all of the very kind of stringent rules that we have. Um but anyway, you have to provide kind of like your um power files from outdoor riding. Um and these have to be valid from the last 12 months. So what's your best 20 minute? What's your best five minute basically? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to go through a testing protocol um, and you have to film yourself uh, doing it. So it's kind of live streamed. Um, so you have to show which like, you're calibrating your equipment, showing your mm-hmm. equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you have to go through this quite hard test. Uh, it used to be one called the Three Sisters Test uh, and Zada have introduced a new one For this new season coming up, uh, which um, only a handful of people will have actually have done at this the time of this
0: recording, so it's a bit Um, like a a sort of biological passport kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, Unzada is collecting all of this data so um, on all of the races which you've done. So, um, the, the big issue, I guess, for them is the fact that you know most teams always riders are switching in and out they're changing equipment uh, some some riders would prefer to race on some more forgiving equipment um, than...
0: uh, right hang on Look, cl- just clarify that what what what's more forgiving equipment or do you not want to you don't want to put that out there because people will take advantage of it
1: well I'd say like if you're racing on like a like I have the utmost respect for anyone who's riding on a neo like a, a um, a new Neo.
0: That's a, tax, I mean, you know, right.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, those are incredibly hard devices to ride on. Right. Um, so if you can race at a high level on one of those, like, you know, in my mind, you're, you're you know, you're legit because I don't know why you would choose to race on one. <laughs> I mean, they are so, uh, it, you know, in our testing anyway, they underread. So. Uh, and that's against the infracrank, which in our minds is the most accurate kind of power meter.
0: Yeah, so you're and, double um, measuring power on both the crank and the trainer. Exactly, yeah. and in some okay.
1: instances, triple measuring. So to make sure the secondary one is kind of how you also triple good. measure?
0: What was what's the third? Like two so power. So you
1: yeah two power meters on. So you'd right. have to have one realistically. Um, you'd have we have the Infocrank, and then you'd also have the. Um, you'd have a power-based system like Asioma Duos or something. Yeah. Uh, Which, to be, you know, Asiomas don't measure power. You know, this is the problem. Most people don't have... Is that
0: the one in the pedal?
1: Yeah. Right. So the problem is is that most people don't even have power meters, you know? Like they have power guessers uh, because they're not actually measuring, you know, torque. You know, there's Mm -hmm. only certain places you can measure torque. So, again, most people aren't using power measuring devices anyway but um you know this is why like when they did the world championships and this is something i wish swift would do and i've asked them to do it they they haven't done it is that everybody was on the same device so everybody yep. had to use a Tax neo nearly everybody complained <laughs> that it underreads <laughs> people were like mine's broken i need a new one it's under reading yeah and that's, that's just how they are they also a lot of people's uh, the tax neos all burnt out when they got to the top of the final climb uh, <laughs> so it wasn't a great advert for, for tax to be honest, but everybody was on the same equipment so um that yeah. was a, that was a big thing and i think that's where we need to get to uh, but i think if you're on a if you're on a tax neo or if you're on a if you're on a kicker like a, the twenty eighteen or the v five um you know you can you you have a higher probability um of your uh, performance being legitimate, you know, I would say. I mean, the, there's always ways around uh, anything, but yeah, uh, you know, if you compare it to that, there were people using like old hammers, um, uh, which is like a, a saris, and uh, you know, the, the 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 sprints and the accuracy of these is you know, all over the place. So yeah. Uh, and there's just so many different options that people could choose from. So, and this season Zwift finally reduced the amount of devices which could be used, um, mm-hmm. which again is is a is a good thing, um, I think. But it's never going to be as good as everyone being um, on the on the same equipment, because I mean, yeah. as well, we've seen even with all of these checks, we've seen. Uh, in my mind, and in many other managers' minds, you know, unverifiable performances slipping through the net. So, yeah. um, you know, even with everything which is in place, all of these crazy, important, but you know, quite a lot of rules in place, there's still stuff which kind of lets slide, and I what get, about, mind, um, it undermines the whole thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about actual doping, as opposed to you know, electronic doping?
1: I mean, I'm sure there is. Um,
0: do, do you, do the, do the, do, is there testing?
1: No, there's there's no testing. Um, right. I don't. To be honest, I do not know enough about um, the, the possibilities for old school doping and yeah. the benefits you could get. You know, from for Swift racing, in in my mind. I wouldn't think it, I wouldn't think it was worth it I'm sure there are some people who think it is and they probably do do it but yeah, I think I mean, there are so there are much easier ways to yeah. dope currently like training yeah it's than, it's a bit like when
0: it. it's a bit like when you you know you've seen these cases of riders lower down the racing categories getting popped for like EPO or something and you're like why are you bothering because there's n- there's not really any there's clearly no financial benefit right. In a way, I can kind of see why a pro tour pro might go down that route, even if it's totally unethical. There's a there's potentially a large financial uh, reward for it. When when you see riders who are like, I don't know, there was a guy who I think won the the masters category at the New York Grand Fondo that got caught doping, and you see occasionally, you know, there was a case in the UK of a junior rider who got mm-hmm. caught doping and when i see those i'm just it kind of breaks your heart cuz you're like why are you bothering when there's not really a benefit other than just beating up some other guys in a race
1: right well it's nearly always ego i imagine totally, ego drives it totally, more than yeah. anything yeah um yeah so i, I you know I, I think it's that unless you know if it's younger riders normally it's um they're trying I would to get on it's not I, I would say I don't know but I would say and guess and it seems in most cases but it's not normally the young riders fault they're normally pushed into it by um an you know an, an older male yeah
0: <laughs> you know, maybe being- the, the the case I remember in London I think it was a guy it was a junior at London Dynamo that got busted and he was quite a successful I think he won like the national junior TT and and I think I you know I might be wrong with this, but but the story I think was that he went out and did it on his own without any you know which it's an isolated incident, but it, it's it's really I, you mad, know I find you
1: know? that I, I I doubt that. I mean, it might be true, but you know, my instinct would be like
0: he's probably just protecting whoever uh, exactly. Got money. I yeah. mean, he doesn't you know
1: snitches get stitches, so yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, just the last thing on on the sort of ethical piece. You mentioned ZADA. Just explain what ZADA is and, and sort of what they do briefly.
1: Uh, so ZADA in its current guise is basically, uh, there's two parts to ZADA. Um, well, th- they're basically tasked with trying to ensure that there is clean racing um, in the top level of Zwift racing. Yeah. Um, and there are so this two is the, the,
0: the Zwift anti-doping agency, which is, that's like fully part of Zwift rather than being like a third-party organization?
1: Uh, well, it's both. Okay. Um, so I say there's there's two elements to it. One is um, the Zwift part of it, and then, the, the, then there is a third-party part, which is basically solely funded by Zwift. Mm-hmm. Um, which in itself is fairly problematic. You know, if, if you if you look at like how Wada is funded by the IOC, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of problems with <laughs> with that setup. Although Wada's probably had a bit more success. Um, yeah, I mean, and the head of Zada technically is also the head of Zwift Legal, um, which you know. can look into that however you want but Mm -hmm. it basically means that you have um you know a lot of guys well guys who are outsourced they do all of the analysis around the performances um you know super nice guys um and i think very kind of sincere in, in what they do and really want the sport to be as clean as possible um but there are so many limitations, I think, for them to be able to to achieve that. Uh, the, yeah. You know, as well, the fact that all decisions are essentially made by Zwift, so mm-hmm. the race organizer. Um, I can think of a uh, uh, you know other examples where the, in the real life racing where maybe there's been some athletes who have been <laughs> given <laughs> given a clear pass, given a free pass. by race yeah. organizers where maybe they shouldn't have. Um, so yeah, so just in that um just in that setup it's kind of fundamentally flawed but um you know they do they do hand out disqualifications they do hand out uh bands um mm-hmm. to riders um yeah but i i think you know their success rate is probably quite low um yeah in 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 doing that
0: yeah all right well look um before we wrap up, I wanna just talk about you alluded a little bit about some of your thoughts about the future of this and where it's going. Um, you know, there's chat out there about will this be in the Olympics, there's UCI sanctioned races, there's British cycling sanctioned races. What, like personally, where do you where do you think this is going and what might it look like in, you know, five, ten years time?
1: Um yeah, I mean it's I as I said before, I, I used to feel like I had a really clear idea of where it's going. And now when people ask me, I'm a little bit more, a little more lugubrious, I suppose. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of really hard to say. I think that the way we're currently going, um, it's probably going to stay around about the same size as it currently is, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know, the, as far as Zwift as a racing platform go- <clears throat> goes, the product itself hasn't really developed in any substantial way in the last five years. Um, you know, the last big change they added really was adding the pens uh, so we didn't have to do it ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's definitely more people coming into it, you know, at a lower level. Obviously, the pandemic was a big uh, boom for for Zwift. I mean, there was nothing better that yeah. happened for them than a global pandemic. So there was obviously loads of people which kind of came into it. I think maybe, you know, 2021s felt a little bit like the hangover, right? Because people have started getting their freedoms back a bit more and riding outside. So a lot of people have kind of moved away from it. The proof will be in the pudding, you know, this winter to see if people actually come back to it and how many, you know, I imagine it will possibly be the biggest uh, racing season uh, they've had. Um, And I can see, you know, steadily the the increase, um, you know, being there in the lower levels, but, you know, this top level, it's hard to see where it's going to go, to be honest. Um, yeah. unless Zwift does some serious things like talking about opening it up so more organizers can run their own events. Mm-hmm. This is essential. Um, and also those organizers then being able to bring in their own sponsors, yeah. Uh, and then being able to monetize. And obviously, Zwift, you know, getting their kickback through that. But we're never gonna reach the kind of heady heights of. Uh, well, you know, traditional esports, uh, unless that unless that happens, unless people can run their own leagues and do their own monetization from it. Um, you know, there's 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 startups I've talked to and, and looked at, you know, even like, you know, how could you bring in proper sponsorship into Zwift racing? Yeah. You know And um, at the moment, you know, it's also a problem with the Zwift platform. You know, it's very it's all custom made. It's not running on any kind of sophisticated game engine so plugging stuff into it I imagine is a complete nightmare I mean I'm glad I don't have to be working in the the back end uh, I can I, I just think it must be awful <laughs> um, so I hope at some point Swift actually ports over their platform to something more usable mm-hmm. part of me also hopes you know like they don't really release many new product features so part of me hopes for I hope they are spending a lot of their time actually building something behind the scenes. Yeah. which they'll suddenly or, launch to the world and be like, or
0: maybe maybe, maybe not. on maybe Unity they, or something, you know. Maybe they're just spending all that funding on marketing to keep growing the user base because that's what they're measured on.
1: I mean, that wouldn't surprise me because that is your typical kind of Silicon Valley kind yeah. of uh, method. But they've made the mistake. What most businesses in Silicon Valley don't do is tr- try and monetize Mm-hmm. because then you're actually judged by a revenue stream. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm un- unsure on that one, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I really feel like I'd say we're at a crossroads, and it can go either way. And I, But I feel like we'll be at this crossroads for the next couple of years, to be honest. Um, yeah,
0: and uh, uh, highly dependent on what Zwift decide to do.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And the other element, I guess, would be like, Zwift doesn't have any real competition. I mean, there are other platforms out there. Uh, You know, there's RGT, um, who, and and all the platform side also doing lots of stuff during the lockdown, but they've all kind of receded away. Um, You know, RGT is probably the the next biggest. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what the the state is um, of... Of, of RGT and racing on RGT at the moment, um, it's still going on, but it's still not at the point where it can really, really challenge Swift. Uh, I mean, there's Virtue Pro, uh, which we're still waiting to properly launch. I think it's still in beta, uh, and then and then the other platforms, I don't even really think about them, um, to be honest. So yeah, I think that's the other thing which is kind of missing in the market, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the moment. Swift has the monopoly. And I think they 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 suffer um, themselves by not having anyone kind of really pushing them. So I
0: wonder if I wonder if somebody like a Peloton might get into it.
1: I mean, this is the other thing. This is where you know Zwift's ambition, anyway, is to go after the Peloton market because if you look yeah. at it, it's huge. I mean, um, I can't remember what uh, what their their valuation is, uh, but it's like. I think it's like $11 billion or something, you know? Yeah. So, um, Zwift wants to go after Peloton. That's why they've put a lot of effort into building hardware. Yeah. You know, th- I know everybody knows they want to build their own trainer and they want to build their own training bike. Yeah. So that they can compete, you know? And it's not just that. They'll want to build something which is much cheaper, I guess, um, than than Peloton. So, but, you know that's a big undertaking, undertaking to suddenly go yeah. into the hardware. So I don't think we'll see something for... I think maybe they hope they would launch something this year, which maybe will now be next year and I think it'll probably be the year after, to be honest. I think it'll be 2024. I could yeah. be wrong but, uh, you know, that seems to be where a lot of their uh, thought their is going. I think they want to do a lot more in the workout space and I'm sure the majority of people who use Swift are just doing the workouts, so you know, in many ways it makes sense for them. So, um, I imagine that's, there's a lot of a gravitational pull towards that side of, of things, the more casual user, um, than the, than the e racers but I, you know, the difference with the e racers are that they are super passionate and, you know, you know, considered in many ways, they're the kind of the pinnacle of, of the platform. You know, they're mm-hmm. the experts, they're the ones who know everything about it, and there are a, and love it you know and we'll still use it and complain about it um and they know every kind of pixel inside out um versus (laughs) the you know they're the loud minority and you know everyone uh, everyone has different ways of, of, of kind of treating the the loud minority i guess
0: yeah. All Look, right, let, let's wrap this up. Where, just tell us um, when when are your next races? When does the season start? Where can people kind of, if they want to tune in and watch these races, um, when, when are they happening next? Sure. So, I mean,
1: uh, for the community teams, uh, they actually start two weeks beforehand um, before the Premier League um, because there's qualifiers. So the first race for our community teams will be on the 28th of September, Mm -hmm. Um, and we've already started putting our our community teams together last season we had 15 teams Um, this season possibly we'll have more or we'll have less but more people in those teams and if people want to join those um, so if you're just an average rider then you can join um, the coalition Um, that's also on discord so that's discord.gg forward slash coalition super easy to come to we'll, we'll, put, uh, we'll then, put a
0: link in the uh, in the show notes
1: awesome and then um yeah the the premier division kicks off um two weeks later in october um and this season it's only six weeks long um and there's five normal points races and then one time trial um so it's a lot shorter normally they were eight weeks long um and so we'll have both our men's and our women's teams uh racing in that uh and then we have a bit of a break and then the season was that season five kicks off january 11th for another six weeks
0: cool all right well look plenty coming up um good luck with the racing thank you for coming on and enlightening me about a topic that um i don't know very much about well i know i know a lot more now um, I still don't think you're likely to see me in a race anytime soon. But um.
1: well, I, I'm sure you'll be the first person to sign up <laughs> to the coalition after this. But uh, to be to be honest, like we've done our own podcasts, and uh, uh, normally we can't ever do them under two hours. So I think uh, yeah. to keep it this short, whilst I still like to waffle quite a lot, we've um, done quite well.
0: Yeah. All right. Nice work. Thanks, Reese. Cool. Great speaking to you. So that's it for this episode. Thanks again to Reese for coming on and enlightening me on the world of e-racing. You can find links to many of the items we talked about in the show notes, including how you can follow the Canyon team this season. And stay tuned for the next episode, which will be coming up a little faster than the four years it's taken to get this episode live. I'd also like to give a quick mention to my other podcast, The Black Dog Cast, which is linked in the notes. This is a podcast that focuses loosely on cycling and mental health, with the aim of raising awareness of mental health issues. That's it for now. Until the next time.